go live. Hello and welcome. You're not going to believe this. I did nothing since last week, and now it's recording while it's streaming. Nothing has changed on my computer. What? I, I hate this. I, I do not know computers at fucking all. I have people <coughs> ask me about computers. I'm like, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> welcome funny. to another episode of Loose Cannon, where we always spend, guaranteed, the only thing we can guarantee is we always spend the first 20 seconds talking about whether or not it's recording. And <laughs> so <laughs> we're back again. Uh, I, I got to clean up my room here because I hate this green screen. It keeps it's fuzzing out on my hands. It's not it's not it's not doing it good for any of our audio listeners. I have a green screen of Titan up on my background <laughs> and it, it it's so distracting. I need to take my meds before we do the show. <laughs> I'm all I'm all over the place right now. I'm sorry. Uh, we're back again. Uh, the seasonal story has concluded, and thankfully, the API has been very generous this this time around, as opposed to last season. And we have the entire lore book to our disposal. So we are going to be covering the lore book purpose today, and uh, some other things uh, that I think would be uh, fun to cover. So we hope. It's a good show for everyone. How was uh how has your <clears throat> past weeks been with the finale um, and everything? Yeah, so I've been we we've been playing, you know, consistently every night, about an hour, two hours, sometimes a little bit more when I, if I get home early in the afternoon. And um <clears throat> I gotta say, man, I've played more this season than any other season in a while. Like uh, I don't think, let's see, when was the last time I played this much? Probably back in Beyond Light, right when it started. Mm-hmm. But now, like, because the power curve was so uh, difficult, yeah. I, I stopped cold. So I would mm-hmm. say, like, in the first two weeks of Beyond Light, I played a lot and then stopped cold. But I haven't played as much as I've been playing now consistently as much as I was in that two weeks of Beyond Light. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it so does. Like, because it, yeah. when it's more accessible, of course you're going to play more. You're, you're not you're not getting your fucking teeth kicked in as much. It's more fun. Exactly. I mean, you want it, you want it a little bit. You, you want the challenge, but you don't want it to be like, all right, go run strike seven more times again, 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 and, and incrementally. Right. If it was, if it was like, um, an interesting way to do it would be if it was like mission based and it was like, this right. mission gives you this power level, this mission gives you this power level and so on. And then you'd have like side missions that are like, you can go in this whenever you want. It's only going to get harder if you don't do the previous like structured leveling. That would be, in my opinion, maybe not the best way, but at least an interesting way to to change it up. Exactly. <clears throat> and so that accessibility, uh, I know a lot of people, you know, so there's a really good, sorry, this ties in. There's a really good um, old item in Destiny 1 uh-huh. that illustrates this perfectly, but it's, uh, I'll butcher the name, but it's a, it's a, uh, the psychologist, psychologist who, uh, and you learned about it in high school and college and whatnot, but it's this method where 
challenge and skill have to be balanced in a way that meets your um like your your skill level has to be challenged mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to be bored you know and yeah. um if the challenge is too high then you're going to be frustrated and not even you know rise to that challenge so there's a sweet spot for everything right and Absolutely. destiny has this this sweet spot and so for years we we've had this power curve barrier that's just for me and probably I speak for a lot of casuals or people just trying out the game for a while or coming back to it. And for me, that wall has always been there. Um, it wasn't always there because I used to be able to play a lot more. And like mm-hmm. D1, I played a lot. Yeah. Uh, but the the wall has always kind of been there. And it's and it to me has always been like this ceiling, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, it's nice that they took that away because now you still have to rise to a certain level, but now it's not so vast and so far beyond my skill level that I have to do these insane things before I can try out or play the thing that everybody gets to enjoy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think uh, that's, that's why uh, wrath of the machine will probably always be my favorite raid. Cause I just think about, I think about the second phase axis fight. Um, yeah. For those who didn't uh, play Destiny One, you have like this first phase Axis fight where it's kind of like you're fighting half of him, and then after you defeat that part, you have like the real fight where it incorporates yeah. uh, the elements of the first fight plus extra. And yeah. so <clears throat> in it, it's like it's very very fast paced, and it it feels like you're doing a lot, and it you're not really doing yeah. that much. Cause it was like, kill this guy, get this gun, shoot that guy damage phase, you know? And that right. was, that you're was exactly kind of it. right. And you're exactly right. I think, I think that touches on it on that sweet spot, you know, because that raid in a nutshell was more along the lines of just go in and, and, you know, beat the shit out of the enemies for a while until you overcome it. And it wasn't yeah. like, but large, but specifically, complicated, well, yeah. because I think it was a little complicated, but I, I feel like it really nailed the sweet spot of yeah. of being like where it's like, OK, I have because it was like all about the servitors, right? It's like I have the solar servitor. I killed him or I have the solar captain. Yeah. I killed him. Yeah. I have the yeah. solar scorch cannon. Where's the solar servitor? And it's like, oh, it's over yeah. here. It's like, oh, well, this person died. And it it left room for the hero moments where it's like, oh, well, your your yeah. right side died. Let's get the left side over there or the center over there. They got to pick up their gun. They got to bring it over. Okay, it's DPS phase. Where is he going? And then they also had that hidden mechanic that became, I think it was a challenge mode of you can do something. I forgot exactly how it worked. You can do something where you like dunk on these platforms and it, you don't have to do this. It's just something that you're able to do. And if you do it, your entire fire team gets a full super every damage phase. And it's just like, that's just, oh, that's right. Yeah. It was just like, it, yeah, it was so like <laughs> high energy. And I feel like that's yeah. important. Yeah. Cause this, okay, yeah. we're standing over here and we're shooting now. Okay. We're standing over here and we're shooting now. It's a little less fun. Like just add clear, stand here shoot there that's i don't know i mean i guess it's kind of the same way with fucking wrath of the machine but they just did it in a better way i don't know so it's hard to quantify so it's really hard too because like if you're you know nostalgic you know like nostalgia is just a bitch (laughs) that's a big one yeah and so i I mean for me personally vault of 
Vaulted Glass will always be my favorite raid just because of nostalgia for nostalgic reasons. However, really? yeah, and but that being said, well, you know, just the Vault of the Glass was like it was so large and expansive and then but you were also inside and it was just, you know, it, it just had this beautiful aesthetic to it, uh, outside of the difficulty. <laughs> But like leaping on the walls and trying to find where you're going and it was very weird... vast. Yeah, it was vast but confined, but also mm -hmm. it just felt like you could go anywhere and look for anything. And like people still say, is there a seventh chest? <laughs> you know, Vault of Glass wasn't my favorite raid, but it was one of my favorite locations. I, I spent hours in Vault of Glass yeah. just trying to like I'm like, there's got to be something up up this fucking rock. They they put that a sliver of a ledge that I can stand on. There has to be something up here. There never was. I, but... <laughs> I even loved it when we had to go back and find. Like I couldn't even. Yeah. I couldn't even believe that people were able to f discover. Like back then, people just ran out and found things, right? So anyway, yeah. the the ghost. Remember when we had to go back there and find the ghost mm -hmm. of Praetis? Yeah. And you know, like jumping off that one cliff and then coming back to the wall as you're falling just in time to land on that one ledge. Like somebody had to figure that out, mm -hmm. you know, and so stuff like that just it baffles me. The tenacity of the Destiny community, especially back then, to be able to go and brute force things <laughs> like like well, you brought up that raid uh, freaking, um, uh, you know, outbreak prime. Yeah. That was insane. Like was math. You got to figure out math for that. Yeah. Well, so like, I don't know. Looking back at it, it just seems so obvious. But to like, to actually be the one to piece it together. Because, yeah. um, let me see if I can find an image. You keep talking. Well, and, and you know, that's funny you say that. Because one of the expressions I hate, and, and it, but it's so true, is, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, very you can always look back with perfect clarity. Uh, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's like, this is so crazy and difficult. But, like, you look back and you're like, of course that was there. That was so obvious, you know. Uh, but when you're in the middle of, or middle of it or you don't know, it's just, like, baffling. Uh, like the stupid maze that, you know, we had to find our own grave that everybody kept trying to figure out where does this go? The labyrinth, you know, um, anyway, fault of glass was, my, is my favorite raid just for nostalgic reasons. However, for playability, uh, I mean, and I know not everybody agrees, but Crota's end and, you know, wrath in the machine are my two favorites for playability. Yeah, yeah no, I, uh, I, I fucking loved Crota's end. Uh, <clears throat> before we get into that or yeah, to something else. So on screen now is uh, the Wrath of the Machine puzzle. And so you basically had these these four quadrants <laughs> surrounding a giant, this like little diamond here in the center is um, a giant war mind <clears throat> uh, cube. And so all these little circles are canisters that you can jump on. <clears throat> and so outside uh the entrance room the the door at the top here marked entrance outside that uh was where another room was it was like a server room and in the corners of the server room you would read binary and you'd have to you'd have to read and decode binary to say where the people would go 
after they stood on these specific four red uh, circles, that's how you start yeah. it. And then you get to read binary. And how they figured out to stand on these four red circles was an even more elaborate thing that we're not going to get into because I don't understand it. I understand this. <laughs> and I just remember being in this raid to do this because it was like a secret chest. So you wanted to do it every time or something like that. And yeah. I just remember getting so fucking mad when I was the only one who knew how to read binary. <laughs> because I was like, how do you not know how to do this? Like, where did you go to high school? I, I went to a tech school. So binary became like a part of like my curriculum. Other people did not. So they, of course they didn't. But it, I was, I was just like yelling at people. I'm like, you're such a fucking idiot. How do you not know this? It's so basic. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a very, very fun, very intense puzzle that had a lot of, uh, uh, outside elements. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I think what it actually was, was everyone got different parts of a code, right? And then that code made an image that overlaid, and it was that image that was just on screen, except it was just like a pixel. Every pixel was one person's code, and they had to somehow figure it out together if i'm remembering correctly yeah that shit was crazy i remember datto yeah uh doing it that was the that was the thing i just remember him like spending forever to figure it out did he did he and, solve uh, that the, at like four in the morning one day i don't even remember but yeah it was something crazy i feel I, I just I, all i remember is it took him forever and he figured it out and like the whole community was trying to help him and it was like a flood of information that sent people down rabbit holes that meant nothing and then <laughs> he finally figured it out and it was like yes outbreak prime but yeah what in the world and then like just figuring out how to do it was mm -hmm. the one thing but then to go do it was a whole mm -hmm. nother thing yeah yeah. <sighs> well, we do have a lot to to get through today, so maybe we should try to get back on track. Yeah, do we, do yeah, you want to do uh, the lore card this week? Yes, of course. So, brought to you from yeah. Destiny Armory Defined. This week's lore <laughs> card. I'm Greasy Luck. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was kind of <laughs> funny because I, I I had no idea about uh, Greasy Luck. Like I I'm I don't. I don't live near any coastal areas. I don't know, you know, ye old tale of boats and pirates and seafaring individuals or maritime folklore. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you're, you're saying you had no idea about Greasy Luck. I didn't I even no know idea. this weapon was in the game. Oh yeah, uh, I guess yeah. I have. So not that's a whole seen other this. thing. Um, so Greasy Luck. If you look at it. First off, you know, you can see it's like a spear gun, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So what the heck does that mean? So, you know, it's a greasy luck. So I was looking at it and I was like, on the face of it, I knew, okay, well, that's a drifter thing, right? It's greasy luck. You would associate that with the drifter as being a greasy <laughs> dude. Um, <laughs> but then yeah. I dived into it and I was like, uh, wait a minute, there's a little bit more to this. So like I looked at the flavor text and I just thought, oh, okay, that's just something. But nothing. The flavor text is pretty cool, though. And I'll bring it up at the end. Uh, but the flavor text says, death to the living, long life to the killers, which is pretty cool. It's like a mm -hmm. pretty cool thing to say. Uh, so I, I was like, well, what, what's the significance of greasy luck? 
And uh, I looked it up and I found a bunch of crap that just had nothing to do with it. But then on the, you know, far corners of the internet, uh, I discovered an entire uh, new thing. Um, so greasy luck is an expression that's rooted in fishing and whaling. <laughs> Within maritime folklore, the concept emerged as a way to describe both good and bad fortune while hunting with spears and harpoons to capture whales for their valuable oil. Um, yep. You know, that's pretty horrific. <clears throat> you know, we live in a time where, you know, that like we don't kill whales anymore. Like it's illegal unless, you know, you're a part of uh, an indigenous tribe that still is allowed to kill one every year up in the north, you know, stuff like that. But. Like, globally, we decided as a people that it's bad, don't kill whales anymore. And mm -hmm. um, so we try to enforce that and keep doing it. I mean, people still do it, which is horrible. But this was a very important thing for peoples way back in the day uh, because their livelihood, their, their expeditions all revolved around, you know, just this was life back in the day. So prefacing what we know now, let's just let's just preface that. But go back to when people were fishing. Um, they didn't know this was bad back then. They just thought this is how we do it. This is how we're going to survive. So in those har in the harsh and dangerous conditions out at sea, fishermen and whalers heavily relied on luck, you know, for a successful expedition. Mm -hmm. um, they obviously faced numerous challenges, including adverse weather conditions, treacherous waves, and unpredictable marine creatures. Mm -hmm. So the concept of greasy luck emerged as a way to describe both good and bad fortune in their endeavors. The term greasy luck is most commonly associated with whaling, which, has, which was once a booming industry. Whalers would venture out into the vast ocean for months, hunting and capturing whales for their valuable oil. Whaling ships were not only filled with experienced sailors, but also a fair share of superstitions and folklore. And so, you know, you've heard of, like, uh, these songs that were sung by fishermen or, you know, maritime folklore that stories would be passed down and stuff like that. So this is rooted in that. But... One particular belief was that rubbing oil from a hunted or captured whale on one's body or clothes would bring good fortune. <laughs> it oh, was believed crazy. it was I know it was believed to appease <clears throat> the spirits of sea of the sea and increase the chances of a successful catch. So like you would you would rub this whale oil all over your body and it go out and then you know that was like good luck to catch uh, a whale. So you can imagine, I mean, whales are massive, and the amount of oil that they could get from I mean, they used oil for everything from these whales. Not only that, they used their flesh and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> whalers who had experienced luck and returned home with abundance of this whale oil began to return, I mean, began to refer to their prosperous trips as having greasy luck. <laughs> Uh, conversely, voyages that were less fruitful and, you know, yielded less oil were described as having dry luck. Um, mm. Of course, they used these spears and harpoons uh, to, to hunt with. And so if you look at the, if you look at the glaive, it's a spear. Uh, it's a spear gun. Uh, it has a very unique aesthetic to it. It looks much like a, like a modern day diver's spear gun with the, with the bright colors 
uh, and then you see this the barbed tip at the end. So a harpoon um, is a is is a primitive weapon that has you know evolved over the years. Uh, this harpoon was very critical in hunting whales. If you've if, if you've read Moby Dick or you know about Moby Dick, this is the weapon that you know. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, the oh, the main Ahab? character, yeah, Ahab would use or like this was his. You know when he went out for the white whale, right? You know mm-hmm. the whole story is like the white whale, and he finally you know catches up to it. Blah blah blah. So. There's a lot of like story t- stories uh, just embedded in the in these maritime folklores, and and one of the most known was you know Moby Dick, uh, but the harpoon the harpoon was like the tool that was the main tool for catching a whale, and um, it's a unique weapon, but also it was ut- utilized very by various cultures throughout history. I mean, it goes mm-hmm. way back. So it can be traced back to early human societies, particularly those that relied on fishing and hunting and, um, you know, hunting marine cre- creatures for sustenance. I mean, it wasn't only used for whales. It was obviously used for lots of big fish, stuff like that. But uh, the exact origin of the harpoon is really d- difficult to determine uh, because of its ancient roots. So what I like to imagine is just people on ships out in the vast ocean trading secrets or learning tools from one another, not really having any kind of boundaries or borders or like tribes and whatnot to really, you know, keep them from, from one another. Because if you're a sailor or a fisherman, you know, and you encounter uh, someone out on the ocean, you either, you know, are in competition with them or, you know, they're your ally. Right. And so you learn things. And so that's really kind of cool because if you think about that, that's like, you know, it's like a boundless society that was living on the ocean and these things were learned and traded down from generation to generation. So the earliest harpoons were made likely from, you know, natural materials like wood, bone, or sharpened stone. Um, They consisted of a shaft or a handle with a sharp pointed tip, often barbed or notched to prevent the prey from escaping. Uh, Some harpoons featured a line or a rope so that they could allow the hunters to to secure the catch and prevent it from escaping into the depths of the water. Uh, Harpoon technology evolved over time as humans discovered ways to improve its effectiveness. Uh, But in the context of fishing, the origins of greasy luck are are a little bit slightly different. So now fishermen would refer to their luck as either greasy or good, (laughs) you know, so like greasy, good or dry, bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And so over time, the expression greasy luck has become a part of this maritime lingo and folklore. And it's often used to describe the the good and bad fortune. Uh, But today, with this phrase, uh, it's not only used by fishing and whaling, but it's also used by people in various walks of life. It's even taken on a broader meaning and uh, symbolizes the unpredictability and luck and fortune in general. Uh, I never heard it. I never knew about it. I didn't know this was a thing, but evidently it is. And um, I, I found mean, even living on of, the coast, I've never heard this before. Right. And so, like, I found pockets of people just in weird industries using the word greasy luck and like it took on a whole new meaning. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like 
it's kind of like meme culture, you know? <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it just involves uh, like the harpoon did. But here's where the flavor t- text really twists. Is, it was really cool. So a long time ago, somebody found some primitive scrimshaw, scrimshaw being like an artifact of uh, a bygone era where people would make uh, like art, crafts, blah, 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 right? So scrimshaw is considered to be like an art or a craft that was taken from like uh, who knows where, but it's more of like a primitive type of thing. And so there's a scrimshaw and it's called tooth of a of a sperm whale and so it's this big tooth of a sperm whale and on the side of this sperm whale tooth is written and this is a very famous scrimshaw that has been uncovered an artifact that's in a museum now and like i didn't i didn't know about it but apparently it's very popular very known and people from all walks of life have taken inspiration from it and wrote and written uh books and stories and whatever from this however here's what it says on the side of this whale tooth death to the living long life to the killers um success to the sailors wives and greasy luck to the whalers So that flavor text is on this weapon, uh, death to the living, long life to the killers. And evidently, this was kind of like a, uh, like a saying that was traded by fishermen. You know, it was like, you know, when you go out in the ocean, hope you have good luck. And so, like, this is how they would say it to one another. You know, they would just quickly say this, like, little poem to one another. And uh, so it's scrimshawed on this artifact and it says death to the living long life to the killers success to the sailors wives and greasy luck to the whalers <laughs> anyway That's cool yeah it was very cool it was really neat to discover i like uh i really like items like this that kind of un- unlock something that you wouldn't on the face of it like you look at that and you go what the hell is that i don't know that doesn't mean nothing you know yeah it, it makes but you it wonder like where whole... Bungie gets their knowledge from. Like who who's coming up with this crap? Because they, they they come up with some of the most obscure stuff for their like inspiration. So you know, uh, being a writer, you kind of have to be somewhat of a of a polymath. You have to know a lot of stuff, and you get inspirations from all walks of life. And writers and like this luck greasy luck saying even that little scrimshaw that's appeared in um several writings and and stories you know probably not the most known writers in the world but there's lots of you know uh references to this thing in writings uh and so i would imagine like you know one of those really cool writers over at Bungie stumbled upon this or was like, Hey, I'm going to put this in the game, you know? <laughs> yeah. They were probably just waiting for it. They were like, Oh, this is it. Yeah, This is my chance. On the face of it. Cause on the face of it, like maybe they heard it from somebody they knew that was yeah. a maritime person or whatever, or maybe they were at a bar one time and they saw, you know, it was like a nautical themed bar. Who knows? You know, inspiration is everywhere. Absolutely. Maybe it was at a tattoo shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's All the sailors tattoo. getting tattoos. Uh, awesome. So yep. in our final week, uh, week six of Season of the Deep, 
Uh, I took notes. I'll run through all the cool stuff that happened. Uh, so the final story beat, it opens up with a hologram uh, from Saladin. He briefs us about Zivu's attack on Asa, how he's sending his iron, <clears throat> excuse me, iron war beast. We go into the mission Barrow Trauma, where they're trying to take Asa, and we stop it. Hooray. Uh, yeah. At the end, we get a cutscene where Zivu speaks through Sloane and actually takes control of her. So Sloane has been battling the, this taken infestation put on her by Zivu, and Asa's been helping with that. At least that's the most obvious play. It kind of felt like uh, earlier on in the season, they were trying to say that Asa was involved with Sloane's taking. Do you recall that? I do. Um, but I don't know where that came from specifically. Yeah. It was it was just like when Drifter was like, oh, look what happened to you. And she's like, no, I needed to do this. Something, something with yeah. Asa. And um, some of the word choices in this lore book that we're going to we're going to cover today makes me wonder what Asa truly is, because I'm not sure if that was exactly covered either. Um, <clears throat> and so in the in the in the cutscene, Zivu starts speaking through Sloan and she takes over and she lifts her sword to I wrote Saladin's throat, but I, I think it might have been Zavala's. Um, uh, in any case, they say, we're with you all the way. And, you know, it's, it's kind of settled. And then, uh, Asa tells us through Sloan that Savathun is the one that we need to talk to, to figure out how to, uh, get through the portal. As in week five, we were like kind of teased that Asa knows how to get in. And Asa's like, I don't actually know how to get in, but Savathun does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Which is making me, uh, it's making me a little question. suspicious of Asa. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like there was a few things half said in earlier on, like I just said about Asa being involved with the taking and how Asa uh, can speak more and more through Sloane. And it's like, how much of Sloane right. are we actually seeing? Like... Chris. How much of Asa is even real? Like, you know, it's the whole and, what is what is real? <laughs> well, I'm sure Asa's real. But so yeah. think back to Witch Queen when we had those truth and lies, and it was like mm -hmm. Sabathun said that she has control over when the planets return. So if Sabathun had planted a worm under her influence on Titan, and Titan gets taken, and Sloan stays, and somehow there's still communication between Savathun and the Worm during the period uh, before Witch Queen, and right. beyond, uh, between Beyond Light and Witch Queen, and Asa is communicating back with Savathun, like, I got her. Like, get that planet back, I got her, you know? And so, Savathun puts into motion, bringing back Titan, um, obviously we we took her out in Witch Queen, so maybe it wasn't just Sabathun. Maybe Imaru was briefed on the plan to be like and do this at this point, you know. And she really like keyed it all out. Because then we have Asa basically telling us like, "Hey, bring Sabathun back." And um, it's, it's yeah, it's that's a, an interesting. That's really interesting because you know, um, 
like uh, I, you know, just think about like the whole Titan. Um, you know, when being on Titan and the missions that we ran there, and then not really knowing what was the what was the whole motive of Savathun's influence on Titan yeah. in the first place, right? Because that that's her yeah. hive were on Titan. Savathun's song. Yeah. Was on Titan. Like, now yeah. it's back, and we're just okay with it. It's back, yeah, and an exactly. entity that's been there the whole time is like, hey, it'd be really cool mm-hmm. if you let Imaru revive Savathun. And uh, that's funny. I'm not the only one that's a little suspicious about it. So after the cutscene, we go and we um, we interrupt uh, the conversation. Uh, yeah. Our three Titan dads talk about bringing Savathun back. Saladin is very mad, and Saint has obvious trauma from what Savathun did to Osiris. Eris and Ikora know a way to keep Savathun under control, which is how interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, Saladin leaves angry. Keitel won't be happy. He says uh, Saint pleads not to do this again and that Osiris will hear of this. And uh, Zavala says. Uh, this is a, a full quote. There's a long night ahead of us. Let us be the beacons others need to follow. At least we will make it through this. Um, so it feels like a mistake, right? It feels like everyone's yeah. saying, this is a mistake. Don't do this. This is a mistake. Uh, what do you think? Uh, Ikora and Eris's there's a way to control Sabathun is because I have an idea and it's not exactly control her it's it's more of a contingency plan I have no idea I can't even I I can't even imagine uh, because well the only thing that my mind can go to is um, when uh, Eris touches the veil you know in her in her her Ahamkara bone. You mean the veiled uh, more, statue, not the veil. The veil, yeah, the veiled statue, yeah, not the veil. The veiled statue, and then she, you know, senses the thing mm-hmm. in Beyond Light, and they're well. That's how her, she got stasis uh, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that's the only thing I can think of is like, how does she have any kind of? So, the veil and mm-hmm. the veil statues, like, there's some kind of connection with the calcified, uh, the calcification of things that the witness we learned. So back up we learned in the cutscene that the people that make the witness the collective people race that make the witness mm-hmm. uh learn to calcify things and slice things away that's why there's so much architecture with sliced things and things that look like they're cast in stone almost like medusa stared at it or whatever you know like mm-hmm. it, it looks like it's a, like a person uh in stone except he's missing his left arm and his right leg and it's like why is he missing yeah. these things yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, obviously there's an aesthetic to it. So a lot of that's just probably just written into the beauty of the background. And, mm-hmm. you know, lo- they love to paint beautiful uh, uh, skyboxes and whatnot. And so like a lot of it, you know, just take it with a grain of salt. However, I think they're trying to say something, you know, with the whole like ability, like we saw him snap his fingers and then, you know, read oh, seven yeah. slices up. Yeah. And uh, so everybody's, sli- you know, like the things are sliced in space and whatnot. And so, uh, but I think the calcified, that's a key word they're trying to use. And mm-hmm. maybe there's, maybe there's some sort of back channel that Eris knows about through the calcification of, uh, you know, that veiled statue. Like maybe there's something to that. Um, and maybe she, maybe that's 
you know, that's the only thing I can think of. But we know in story-wise that she has a Ahamkara bone and she wished to get out of the freaking pit of Rhoda and that's how she survived. And so, like, but we also know that Eris once said in Flavor Text, this is not my final shape. And she has showed me that. So oh, what yeah. the hell does that mean? You that's know, an, so like, that's there's another a, interesting there's a, thing. There's a lot of little things that tie into that. Yeah. Uh, but but Ikora, of all people, she would probably know a lot about a lot of the different mysteries and just wouldn't share that information. However, Eris is very, Im- very important to Ikora because she's a part of the hidden, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so w- the way I think that they might be able to control her is if they were to, if they were able to find Imaru and somehow convince him to be like, we're going to put you in this cage, the cage that like, uh, uh, the Praxic order uses that like keeps the ghost from escaping. Uh, oh yeah. Put you in this cage. We're going to let you revive Sabathun and we're going to keep you in this cage. And, you know, kind of like. Sabathun does anything, you're you're getting it. Snuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we'll we'll deal with her again. We'll just we'll do that again, and then she'll be gone forever. Uh you know. Yeah, because isn't there a story isn't isn't there a story in D one where a hive wizard was captured and the same I same kind of thing happened where we would use we we uh use something. God dang it. I wish I had it queued up. Anyway, there was a moment in back in D1 where we captured a hive wizard and we basically did something similar where we kept it from being able to leave and die and resurrect or use any kind of tithing to that worm. And we mm-hmm. kept it in like a suspended, a suspended life death moment to, to try to figure out, you know, what to do about the hive at the particular time. I don't remember what was the point of it, but uh, we did something. So we have the capacity and the ability to do something to the hive in a way to keep them in suspended uh, life and mm. death. So maybe that's like what you're saying. You know, we got our Imaru and we could, you know, put him in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> keep Sabathun in a suspended way uh, like a hive wizard. And then, you know, tell us what we need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or well, else. That, that makes sense. Uh, so I guess time will tell. I imagine this is going to yeah. happen next season. Uh, we don't know anything about next season yet. Uh, so I imagine that's when it will play out. Uh, after the post-cutscene conversation, we have another hollow projector with Sloan, where she basically says how we won. Uh, hooray. Uh, and she says, uh, this is a quote, I thought I needed a mission to drown out the noise. Uh, Sloan is mad. Better place uh, is... Sloan is now in a better place uh, psychologically, and Asa is going into hibernation, and Sloan says she'll watch over her. Uh, right. After we just spoke to her on the hologram, we now have a radio call with her where she apologizes for attacking Zavala. So it was Zavala, not Saladin. Or maybe it was Saladin, and then I wrote Zavala the second time. In any case... <laughs> One of them is wrong, uh, but it was under Zivu's influence, so he forgives her. Sloane didn't expect to ever return home after Titan was taken, and that's why she accepted what she did. Uh, Zavala, what she did being like the whole Taken thing. Uh, Zavala talks about Safi and Hakim, uh, his wife and son, 
And uh, they also both talk about Renapier's drunken noodle, which uh, Zavala <laughs> yeah, is like, you know, when you come back, we're going to go there. And she's like, oh, my God, if, if Renapier's drunken noodle wasn't still in the city, there wouldn't be any point of ever coming back. So uh, it ends on a nice little lighthearted note for the for the final story beats. Yeah, that was a cool one because it was kind of like uh, you knew they were talking about each other, and he was just like, I, I, you know, basically this was the invitation to go out to dinner or lunch one day at the Drunken Noodle, and you know, yeah. kind of l- like lament or whatever. You're Be not better. allowed to stay away from the city, Sloan. You're still a part of yeah. us. Like no matter what. Yeah you got going on and yeah we've we've proven hopefully it's not exclusive to awoken because that would be unfortunate but we've proven that you can remove taken blight from people so, oh yeah that's interesting and so throughout the season like every season every week we got a lore entry and so six weeks six entries we got the lore book purpose and so I, I really like this lore book because um, I think during Witch Queen, when they were doing it, they had a lot. They had a bad habit of the lore book just retelling the mission that you just did. Yeah. So it was like, well, yeah, that's what's kind of the point of this lore book? Whereas, yeah. as this gives you like the surrounding context to what happened. Um, so, uh, unless there's anything else that you want to say about. Uh, Week six? No, that was good. Okay. And if we have time at the end, uh, I have I have one thing that I, I have written on my phone uh, that I want to go through, which I already uh, shared with you uh, a few days ago about The Witness. Um, yeah. So the lore book uh, is called Purpose. The first entry is Debriefing. Sloan returns from the otherware, which is what I'm calling where the planets go because we don't have a name for it and zavala (laughs) debriefs her on everything that's happened and she struggles being left behind on so many big moments uh yeah so while she was in the other where uh internal chronometer had glitched out shortly after titan disappeared and took them with it and so i wanted to ask you stasis is already Stasis already is kind of a uh, like time-based subclass, but could there be another? Could could this play a part in the Vex's ability of time travel in the first place? Maybe that's why they're so limited uh, into like what they can do. So like obviously taking the planets was a power that the Witness and thus the Darkness has, and if Saushane's uh, chronometer glitched out shortly after it was taken. Um, what does that mean? Does that mean like, is it thought and consciousness control? Like, you know, we've, we've talked about how stasis was kind of originally supposed to be like time-based where you're you're frozen in time. This is, you know, kind of punny, I guess. And maybe that's why they they went away (laughs) with it. And they were like, let's not do it like that. But maybe they would want a, a, a similar time-based power. And it was just making me think, yeah. like, why haven't the Vex won? Why have they ever lost? And, oh, because we're paracausal. That's a pretty fucking lame reason, right? Like, yeah. there has to be more yeah. to it. 
that's yeah that's been like the catch-all thing though for everything since d1 yeah. is uh our pericausal ability allows us to circumvent the threats in our surrounding solar system slash universe enemy darkness yada 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 it's like the whole the whole uh premise and backbone of the guardian's existence is the fact that we have this ultimate tie to something that we can't defeat without defeating ourselves because just like Ulantan says mm-hmm. one can't exist without the other because they both come from the same place so to so to get rid of one you get rid of the other like mm-hmm. ultimately no matter what this is what's going to happen and the only way to to survive is to keep that battle going right and yeah. so uh like one of the things we learned about Zivu Arath is that she loves the fact that war like the future war cult believed the war is inevitable. It has to happen because without it, there is no survival. There's no existence. And just like the winnower and the gardener keeps saying or said back in the day, you know, in the stories, mm-hmm. uh, it without, or the gardener in the, yeah. So without, uh, this constant conflict in the universe, you know, existence isn't, is, is nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. But, I have this sneaky suspicion that uh, somehow in this like universe that we're all in, um, the Vex, so the Vex are, you know, the Vex are there and they've been there for who knows how long we just, they were brought into this whole scenario. But the Vex seem to be tied to a lot of dumb stuff uh, one way or another. Like the whole fact that the Exos, you know, exist was, you yeah, know, some, that was, like, that was yeah, a big one. A frosty Vex luge <laughs> into the mouths of, you know, Clovis Bray's uh, machine that created uh-huh. the consciousnesses. Uh-huh. So there's this consciousness thing. There's this strand thing. And then there's this like uh entropy stasis thing and so like all of these things are coming from these paracausal forces and we know the vex are another paracausal enemy race uh what is their ability so their ability is well, to I mean, be they're, able to they're, circulate. they're not supposed to be paracausal right they're just they're like fourth dimensional yeah that's a good that's a good way to explain it like their fourth dimension is uh removed from the boundaries of our uh, fundamental forces in this environment, right? Yeah. Uh, but paracausal paracausal abilities allow us to circumvent those fundamental forces of our universe, yeah. and so that's like how we keep saying, "Well, the reason why we have powers, or the reason why we can survive, is because of this paracausal ability." But what if it was something a little bit more simple? What if it was something that was more tied or more aligned to how the Vex manipulate? our Mm -hmm. universe (laughs) and we learn some way that oh my god this sucks we just basically are byproducts of the same thing the vex uses yeah (laughs) i I feel like and and i I wonder if you agree i feel like even though we had protozen house of wolves taken king wrath of the machine even though we had all those big battles against other enemy races i feel like in d1 the Vex were always pitched as like, we don't stand a chance against them though. And then yeah, you're right. In D in D two, it became heavily focused on the hive and it was just right. like, you know, I know it started with the red war, but it was like, all right, well, Oryx is dead, but Savathun, 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 it kept, kept yeah. like 
knocking yeah. on ringing that bell of Savathun is coming. Savathun is coming. Also the darkness. Savathun is coming. Savathun is coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, when you paint it like that, it really <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's just like it feels it almost feels like they they cuz in in um the first the first Destiny 2 uh DLC was uh the curse of osiris and we fight yeah. panoptes and panoptes is supposed to be this huge threat and everything and we take him out pretty easily but then after we defeat him we have a lore entry that basically says and he's not dead and it's like so then what did we do it's and it they, Wait, they yeah and so that's like that's the mystery and that's the thing that leaves my mind open to this possibility that somewhere in an alternate universe somewhere something's happening that we just, you know, we're on the right path. We're 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 locked into our destiny, right? You know, we're mm-hmm. we're controlling our fate. We're manip- we're trying to manipulate and control our fate on this rail that we've been, uh, you know, forced to run down. Yet the only thing that we can use as a way to, you know, just keep from, you know, falling apart is this. Uh, somehow we're able to circumvent these like alternate <laughs> reality slash timeline slash whatever uh bad outcome happened like the stranger the the freaking exo stranger right the whole mm-hmm. story of the exo stranger was hey you know you're like i'm here because you're on the right path and this is probably going to be the one we need to be on so let me give you these little tools along the way to to you know butterfly effect your way to yeah. the outcome we need to survive and she she puts you on this on this like direct path against the vex and obviously it was for the black heart because the, yeah. the formation of the black heart which is also apparently a uh in an attempt to recreate the veil was uh such a dangerous thing to exist completely i get it you know that makes sense yeah. i understand it however then in D2, when she does return, she completely pivots and is all about like stasis and understanding stasis and the pyramids. And if she did everything she did in the dark future, you think that she'd be like, okay, now let me tell you about the witness. Here's what yeah. we know. And that never <laughs> happened. And it's like, yeah. So d- because in, in the one dark future we had, it felt like Eris was really just taking control and the witness was completely hands off. The witness did not come in. The witness is like, you do your thing. I'm going to come in. I'm going to find the veil and I'm going to final shape it. And, uh, so maybe, maybe, uh, Elsie never really had experience against the witness itself. Um, maybe, maybe. And then she learned. Yeah, it is hard to say. It's really hard to say. It's because those are the mysteries, you know, and like, None of this was apparent at the time, but if you if you unlock a future outcome that uh, could potentially lead to your um, you know keep you from keep you from your extinction event, blah blah blah, uh, then you know you have to do whatever's necessary. And I like I think the curse of Osiris and Osiris's uh, you know fanatics uh, and his little you know uh, what were they called. Uh, Little things that he he wrote down prophecies. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I, I the, think the parables of the offspring. Yeah, so all of that was written in a way to tell you, hey, the reason why you can't have all the information up front is because you're gonna fuck up the future. <laughs> yeah, 
So I got to dole it out in little ways that make you stay on this path to success. And if I give you all the information right off the bat, you're going to take a left town, left turn to crazy town. But if I give you a little bit at a time, you'll, it'll keep driving you forward to the ultimate goal. Right. And so maybe, maybe the exo stranger did kind of the same thing. And now she's at a point where like, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) Yeah. And and meanwhile, Osiris, of course, was using all that information for his own selfish needs, but that's fine. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> one last thing before we move on to the second entry, however, uh, Elsie exists in a loop, right? And so, yeah. so what if that is the other that that's another dark darkness power that she has? She had stasis. Uh, what if she never learned how to wield strand because it was all about like going with the flow and everything. And she was too rigid kind of like Osiris yeah. was during the Lightfall campaign too rigid to actually wield it. What if there was a third one that was maybe it was, if it's like thought and consciousness, what if the third one is about ambition and Elsie's ambition was to save Anna. And every time Anna died, loop resets, loop resets, loop resets, loop resets, because she subconsciously is using this, this um, to save third Anna. darkness power to try yeah. to fix it, to try to fix it, to try to fix it. And maybe that's how the Vex work, where Panoptes had had their ambition, and then we kill Panoptes. Well, they loop reset, they come back, you know, they come back, and yeah. they're not, they're not. Now we're a divergent timeline from the Penalties, but maybe the Vex found a way to jump across. Yeah, that's a good that's a good idea, and and I I think a lot most people right now are very uh, attuned to the possibility of the Vex being a main source of conflict in the next season or whatever. Yeah. You mean uh, so uh, if next it, saga? Yeah, yeah, I saga. agree. I agree. Um, um, which brings us all the way back to the Ishtar Collective and the simulation yep. and everything that happened there. Finally, the we'll see the 227 that. in Praetith. Oh my god, wouldn't that be awesome? I've been, I've been dying for that. I was so sure it was going to happen in, in Season of the Undying and fucking Shadowkeep. What was yeah. that, four years ago now? Oh my god, I've been waiting. Yeah. In any case, uh, entry number yeah. two is called Theory. And uh, in this entry, Ikora practices wielding Strand in the Veil containment chamber when Osiris arrives. She then theorizes how everything is connected. Kind of like how <laughs> we're doing right now. Yeah. It is crazy to me, though, that Ikora, yeah. right off like the, the first fucking sentence, Ikora pinches a thick and vibrant Strand thread from the air and twists it between her fingers with ease. So, so she's got yeah. this. Like, okay. Yeah. She's on her. What the hell? Um, and so in this entry, I, I, I marked a a section to read, so I'll I'll read this. It's the end of the entry. Uh, you taught me the value of a backup plan. Ikora gives him a stern look. Titan, Savathun's throne world, every place we found a Gregor. I haven't found the exact threads yet, but pull one and they all seem to spin back to Neomuna, to the veil. You're getting ahead of yourself, following some of my less favorable tendencies. Nimbus says we must flow to understand Strand. Perhaps it is the same with the Veil. Osiris moves beside Ikora and reaches up, palm parallel to the threads drawn taut from Ikora's braid of Strand. Soul remembered Titan, in a way. The Veil's signal spiked when Titan returned from memory to reality. 
when the rhythm of the solar system had been restored to order. Osiris drops his hands and looks to Ikora. Perhaps we must simply find that rhythm before we were able to interpret the beats within it. And once we do, then we should be able to reverse that process. She replies. Ikora releases the thread and tracks the rippling points of connection that travel onward, along the fabric-like strands of existence, to the walls, to the containment enclosure. We're too late in the game for something to mean nothing. It has to connect. Ikora sighs, then turns to Osiris. Your flair for educating others is returning. Though I bet <laughs> some would say you never lost it, she smiles. Osiris smirks. Come and walk with me. We'll discuss this unifying theory of yours. <laughs> so we've been talking about a yeah. for like two years now, and it feels yeah. like we're never getting the fucking answer, but everything is, is tied in with the egregor. Right. Or egregore. Well, egregore, yeah. I, I, it's it's funny because like uh depending on what region you're in, it's egregore or egregor. <laughs> but oh, really? what um yeah. And what uh what I what I don't Okay, so so there's so much to unpack, and I don't want to like go down the rabbit holes and just derail the whole show. But just real yeah, quick, I do want to finish the book. <laughs> yeah, just real quick, I just want to I just want to point out that that little theory thing right there, written, um, you know, our soul system we're confined we're confined to what's in our director when we're playing the game, and our soul mm -hmm. system is everything that's in the game, and uh. So obviously things are removed by Bungie for content reasons, storage reasons, whatever, and then brought back at a later date or revamp reasons. And then it's brought back because, you know, you can't have something you're working on in the game because people will just, you know, fall off a cliff trying to look yeah. for it anyway. Uh, but it's kind of interesting to play with this idea that our soul system and everything in our reality is almost like it's in its own pocket. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we have memories is because we're remembering when our soul system was no, wasn't in that pocket that we're in right now. Uh, and like people were a part of, you know, a timeline that is, is still actually going, but our whole existence right now has been pocketed by taking it and removing it from that timeline or that alternate universe. And we're in this we're in this reality right now. We're in this universe, but it has been segmented, separated away from the other timelines, the other potential outcomes, the other uh, multiverses, whatever you want to call it. That, and we're forced to deal with what we have. And so every now and then, uh, you know, Titan can just disappear. But where does it go, right? And when yeah. it comes back, maybe, maybe the reason why it disappears is because it's gone on to that failed timeline until it comes back and we save it again or whatever, you know, and these things are happening and like things are popping in and out of existence because, you know, you can't have it all at once, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, it, it is necessary. And it's so like this, there's this constant battle for keeping our soul system in this pocket, you, you know, know it's like holding a bunch. That's a really yeah. interesting point. Sloan yeah. should have had a ship when, when Titan disappeared. Hop off Titan for a little bit, see what's up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's really stupid to do. No, and but, I, I mean but 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 maybe. But if like, if she evolve. did that and then Titan returned, it returns without her. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, maybe okay, that'd be stupid to do. 
Well, and so what I'm saying is, like, when you brought up the egregore, the egregore is this power, uh, and, you know, and it, it has its own meaning, but it, it's very much tied to, like, this etheric, angelic uh, spirit level of mm -hmm. reality that we can't attain, like, because we're not conscious of it, because we don't have, we don't have whatever fabric, we can't manipulate or be in tune with it, because we don't have the connecting fibrous fabric of the universe to attune our own vibrations to the level of the spirit world, right? This mm -hmm. sounds very hippie, but <laughs> um, imagine being of a certain consciousness or ascending to a certain mental level that allows you to tune into the spirit world, right? People love this stuff, you know, from like uh, uh, whatever, you know, just whatever like uh esoterics love this stuff but the idea that you can attune your own mental consciousness to vibrate on a spirit level and now you can see now you can see what nobody can see you can see ghosts walking around you can see nightmares walking around you can see this whole spirit world that is a part of your universe but removed right mm -hmm. yeah um and so the egregore is a means for our guardian to uh attune ourselves to that to that level and uh and just like the glycon ship when it disappeared and then came back all messed up <laughs> so then maybe maybe the planets aren't gone because their gravity is the same maybe they're not actually gone maybe they're like in the upside down exactly exactly and so that upside down is where everything is messed up and failed and yeah. this pocket that our soul system exists in has been removed from that horrible outcome that exists on the other side and we're trying to prevent that uh we're trying to prevent that fate and destiny and so mm -hmm. we're trying to rewrite it and make our own fate and destiny yada 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 mm -hmm. and so the way to do that is remove ourselves and the, but when we when we are early on when the traveler pushed back the 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 darkness the witness whatever uh that pocket of our universe was created and now with that all memory of everything else goes with it too you know it's like hitting a reset button it's like control alt delete reboot and so now we're in this new environment and we're picking up the pieces and learning about it along the way and every time we dip out of it we're like oh crap that's bad that was a bad idea <laughs> come back <laughs> yeah uh, uh. Anyway. So entry three is called Legacy, and in Legacy, Annas sits with Archie, remembering Rasputin fondly, not as the tyrant, but as the person who just wanted to keep people safe. And for those who don't know, Archie is the dog that Rasputin created the good boy protocol for. Yeah, and you can so, pet him. Yeah, yeah, so you can pet him. And so... uh for for here, uh, there's a section here. And yet, sitting here in the shadow of his sacrifice, Anna finds that she wants to remember him by not one thing built for war. A canine AI created for no other purpose than companionship. One that has been has made a home for itself in the tower, greeting everyone he meets on his daily walks. In the end, Rasputin's legacy was not the war he waged, but the lives he sought to protect. The notion brings a smile to Anna's lips. This distinguished him from Zebra Wrath, and Anna hopes that Sloane can realize the same holds true for her. Because, yeah. as as we said, 
uh, last show and this show, Sloan, Sloan felt like she needed the mission. She needed the fight. She needed these things. And Zivu, as we'll see at the end, uh, the final entry in this book is just so fixated on war. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. entry, entry four, unless you have something to say about Archie. No, that's perfect. Uh, entry four here, uh, Eris is Eris suggests Drifter to be the one to console Sloane after her time away because Sloane is dealing with a lot. And so right at the start here, uh, I'm just going to read this paragraph. Eris let her eyes wander over the interior of the derelict, wondering if Drifter had hastily tidied it before her arrival. Unprecedented, <laughs> but he could still surprise her. They sat together as they always did when she came to speak with speak to him face to face. There's been a movement of the Eris Drifter uh, romance. Yeah, the ship. Yeah. And it's not that I don't see it. It's that I just still see all the lines that they say about Drifter having feelings for Orin. So it's like, is this a love triangle thing? What's happening here i mean what isn't a love triangle thing i mean like yeah. chioma and freaking uh cade and Aunt, uh, well i mean i Anna guess and... right i know and like mara and Shax yeah. and what's no, her name but that no that one was not a love triangle though Shax was just great i know but i'm right just now. saying like but people like to say I know. It. and yeah. i know but like that's what people like to do. Like we, we even now have an explanation for it, but people are still like, "Oh, and the helmet stayed on," <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. But <laughs> like we know that he just showed up there to read uh, the tempest to her because she was, and he was crying about it because you know yeah. the helmet stays on because he don't want to, he didn't want anybody to see how emotional he was for yeah. having to read this to Mara, who is lamenting a lost lover, and yeah. it connected to Shaxx too. I want to know more about Shaxx. It, but we anyway. haven't gotten anything about him. It's it's such a nothing, uh, man. That dude a blank is a closed spot. book. Yeah, yeah. Like Saladin's helmet came off I in imagine. the Rise of Iron. Where, why the fuck isn't Shax's helmet coming off? And even if it's not coming off, more he was a goddamn warlord, and that's all we know about him. We're, he was a warlord once. He still is a warlord. Yeah, he, he still, still is, is a warlord. He considers he himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, in the end of this entry here, I have a section. Do not be concerned with the. I have. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that came up early uh, earlier in the week. So uh, Drifter fell quiet, looking down. She could hear his breath and see the uh, stained shiver of his fingers were clutched on clutch where he clutched the coin. Eris reached out and placed a hand on his arm. He was tense to trembling, but her touch was light, quiet, comforting. He placed his hand over her own. You know, some days I still wake up scared, Drifter said softly, even when I can't remember my dreams. That is what it is to survive. There was a great gentleness to Eris's voice. He nodded, then looked up and met her gaze. Hey, Drifter said. You find that joy yet? Soon, Eris answered. Joy is built, but I have taken the first step. Drifter withdrew his hand. After a moment, she did too. Eris stood, and Drifter's eyes followed her. Consider my, consider my counsel, Germain. She knew he would. Drifter let the silence linger. That's not my name, he said at last. That is what you let them call you. It was a small link to his past, a link to a life he had picked for himself. He nodded slowly, holding her gaze. 
he would let her call him that too. And so the them that calls him Jermaine is Orin. So Eris is like, yeah. ah, you let Orin call you Jermaine. I'm calling you <laughs> Jermaine too. Yeah. Um, so like the, the cool thing about this to unpack is that Eris is saying, you know, at some point, Drifter, you've got to open up and be a part of this alliance because you're no matter what you think of yourself, you are worthy of being a part of this family and you've been here long enough to, to just be a part of it. So you need to embrace this. And one way to do that is to go counsel Sloan because it's necessary not for just for Sloan, but for also your personal growth. And the mm -hmm. two of you having a meeting of the minds can help each other overcome their own, uh, your own insecurities and internal battles that you're having. Cause the drifter feels out of place, obviously. Yeah. Uh, he feels, you know, like, but he does that to him. Uh, that. What? You, you cut out there. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Sentence, and then you came back with like that at the end. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so should we just go to the next entry? Yeah. All right. So uh, entry number five is expectation. In this entry, Ikora and Zavala talk about the origins of the witness, and Zavala draws parallels to and speaks ill of the traveler. So this this entry comes alongside the witness origins cutscene, and so we're not the only ones that learn about it. Everyone everyone learns about it, and specifically Zavala is very upset about it. Um. So here, here's a, a segment from the century. Zavala is silent. He looks up from the data pad to Ikora, then sighs and slowly rises from his seat. Ikora follows him with her eyes, watching him move to the window where he would gaze out at the traveler in the past. Now a fleet of allied vessels struggle to fill that void. Were they really that unified? Zavala asks, looking at Ikora's faint reflection. Who? The witness's people. Zavala stares past Ikora's reflection to the city. Were they truly of one mind, united in the desire to become this thing? Or were they forced, compelled into action by the guidance of a few? She can feel the doubt in his words, not in his wondering about the witness's origins, but in the vanguard, in what he sees as a parallel. Ikora steps to Zavala's side, briefly touching his elbow. We'd never become that, she says softly. Not in all of Elsie's journey through time, not in any hypothetical future. We stand together because because we believe what we're doing is right, Zavala interjects. Looking Ikora in the eye, she sighs, turning to face the window. Her shoulders sag, and she is lost in the details of the cityscape. I don't know what I expected either, Zavala said, but you're right. It wasn't this. And so I really love this entry to come with that week because that was the week or actually it might've been the week before. I forgot exactly what week it was because I played them together um, where Drifter and Zavala had a conversation where Zavala was surprised at Drifter having faith in Orin, and Drifter said that he was surprised that Zavala of all people would have lost faith in the traveler. And yeah. so we're we're really seeing that Zavala has been on this like depressing like, what's the point of all this? You're, you've caused all this. Like everyone that has died is kind of because of the traveler, right? 
yeah, he's feeling he's feeling guilty and bad about all this stuff. And you know, it's that's interesting. That that is interesting. I, I think that was a good soundbite though for uh, the Drifter and and Zavala. Yeah, it, it was. Did address that elephant. Yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 kind of messed up to like look at it like that, but at, at some point you kind of have to. It's not the traveler's yeah. fault that everyone died. It was running away, but it did kind of bring everything with it, and it kept doing it. It kept doing it to all these people. Like it's not like, right. oh, one day randomly I learned that all the civilizations I helped were being killed. It's like no, I knew from day one I was getting chased. Yeah, and I brought it here. Yeah, to that to used you. to be my defense that the traveler could have been unaware of the actions happening after it's after it leaves a society because we had instances where it uplifted a society and it's like okay bye now and it would just go on yeah. go on its merry way <laughs> you know yeah and then after the traveler had left oh here come the hive here come the darkness you know so after yeah. the traveler was already gone they would arrive and so it was like how is the traveler supposed to know that but clearly it it did because it was from the fucking beginning it was getting chased. Um and I mean, it's, then, it's in the grimoire. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then so the final entry we have here is conviction. Uh in this entry, Zebu Arath <laughs> stabs a knight in the spine to call the witness on its cell phone, and they have a nice chat. <laughs> this was this opens up so crazy. Because it, it's, it yeah. reads, uh, Zivu Arath's claw wraps around the hiltless, slender, vantablack blade impaled into the spine of a prostrated knight whose own sword clatters to the ground inches from its grip defeated. That's one sentence. <laughs> uh, so that's how uh, Zivu opens communication with the deep, with the witness, with the darkness, uh, etc. The many names it, it, it mantles. Uh, so a couple excerpts from this entry here. Uh, when the witness responds, they resist the witnesses. Many voices cascade over each other like wounded prey, all tire in time. If they do not, Zivorath sees the hidden thrust of its question. She knows it doubts her, but not does not understand why. No matter the outcome, they stand at the precipice of the final shape. The sword will decide and be forged stronger for it. It is beyond that now. She does not want to fall before the end. She is so close now. She saw her past failures as blood penance, paid for strength, notches where blades and light met or carapace were legends given form. But it is not hers to decide, nor the witnesses. The logic is a perfect deterministic sequence of causality built into the experience of consciousness, conscious existence. None can usurp it. Struggle with the finite is eternal. To deny the blades is heresy. Her sister's word played in her thoughts, like fingertips plucking dissonant chords. The witness enters the solace of Zivu's mind, her inner throne, a salt-flat sliver extending eternally into darkness. Armaments of all-fashioned sleep partially sheathed between the cracks of a battlefield where there is no place to run, and from its gaze there is no place to run. They hold, they hold the worm. They pursue her knowledge. The words echo throughout the desolate realm. The final shape remains to be hewn. 
that I may wield it glorious against the sky. Not as you are, weakened by defeat. The echoes slither over her mind, but find little purchase. Laughter like screaming fear. Meager victories of no consequence. Blurred battles lost within my greater war. No victory is of no consequence, they scheme. War is fed regardless. The sky can grant no passage. That time will soon come to an end. Show her your love, Zyro. She is alone again, her blade buried in spent ash. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a lot to have, like, this conversation between the two. And specifically, at the end here, the witness says, that time will soon come to an end. Show her your love, Zyro. So there's, there's two possibilities of who the witness is, is talking about. Either the witness knows about the plan to bring back Savathun, or the witness is talking about the gardener. So it's either telling Zyro, Z- Zivorath, to go kill your sister because love is war, or go kill the gardener because love is war. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So which which do you think the witness is saying? Is it is is it saying the uh, the traveler or Savathun? I think I think Sabathun. That's what I felt when I first read it as well. Yeah, I think war Sabathun is fed regardless. Time. The sky can't yeah. grant, can grant no passage. That time will soon come to an end. Show her your love. So the sky, being the traveler, um, the sky right. can grant no passage. That time will soon come to an end. Show her your love. Rereading it, I'm starting to think it's talking about uh, the traveler. Well, see, here's how I interpreted it and why I think it's the Sabbath. Is because when he's saying the sky, uh, what do you say? The sky gives no, what is it? The sky, uh, the sky can give, war is fed regardless. The sky can grant no passage. Yeah. So I think he's saying war is fed because she tithes from the act of war mm-hmm. and the sky grants no passage because he's talking or she Zyro is mm-hmm. uh, Zivu is talking about Sabathun's uh, way of getting out by using the sky as a passage, you know, via the ghost. So I think oh. that's what she means. That's my interpretation is like, you passage. think you can use the sky to your advantage by you know getting away from the tide to the worm but guess what if i kill you i get all of your shit (laughs) and you can't run because she says meager victories of no consequence blurred battles lost within my greater war and the witness says no victory is of no consequence they scheme so they so they scheme being yeah they being sabathun war is fed regardless the sky can grant no passage to sabathun yeah yep yep you're right because the the way Zivu Arath uh, sees yeah. everything, like meager victories of no consequence, she's diminishing all the the successes that her sisters have yeah. had by yeah. saying that in all capitals. And well, that's how, saying, how Zivu talks. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, I know. Always she's shouting. Like, Sabathun, she's basically like, my sister Sabathun sucks. I'm the badass. And yeah. then she's like, whatever she did, you know, she can't. I'm going to take it. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> Man, the, for 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 two for two beings that are like planning like the evisceration of the universe, you think they would they yeah. would speak in more concrete terms 
instead of like like fucking drug dealers on a tapped cell phone. <laughs> they scheme. The sky can grant no passage. Show her your love. Like no no names. No names. Don't 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 say who you're talking about. Yeah. We have no names. No names. Yeah. So that That's was funny. uh that was our seasonal lore book purpose. Uh, yeah. And there we have it. Uh, I think that's going to be it for our show. Cause I don't think I'd have enough time to go through, uh, the other thing I, I was going to bring up. Well, I mean, you can just, it's, I mean, you got five minutes, five minutes. I, I don't even think I can read this in five minutes. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I can probably read it. Uh, because yeah, you know, I can, because everyone here should, should know, um, okay. about the, about the cut scene where, uh, yes. how the witness was formed, you know, the origin of the witness. So it's all about unveiling, right? The, 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 yeah. uh, the validity of unveiling has been thrown into question and you kind of came to the defense of it where you were saying the winnower specifically was a thing that existed before the beginning of the universe and that it stayed out of the universe and the witness is trying to become that. Yes. And so, uh, so over eons, they grew to desire a purpose. They desired a winnower to shape the garden. The scholars discovered another entity, the veil, and they claimed it. They learned the darkness at this point. They no longer saw the gardener and its light as a source of prosperity, but as a source of chaos. And in the darkness, they learned how to calcify this chaos, as we said before, into a final yep. shape, eternal and perfected. So what if the witness didn't just make up the unveiling to sway us? What if the unveiling is in essence, the Bible of the civilization who became the witness? What if the witness came to us as a missionary to offer us salvation? And so yeah, I, I like believe, that. I like that. I believe the civilization that would become the witness desires a winner and is trying to embody that being by committing what would effectively be a holy war. Trim away the chaos, leave only strict and perfect order of the final shape in its place. And yeah. where better to start that than with themselves? They, 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 I don't know what words can be used, but they mass removed themselves from the game and became the witness you know they became a singular piece in the game instead of uh, yeah thousands millions billions we don't know how many there were yeah well i, I brought it up before uh a while back like maybe a, a month or a month some odd days ago about mm -hmm. how uh the this whole thing is coming to a close with the saga of you know the the many that became the one versus the one that became the many. So, mm. and what do I mean by that? I mean, the witness is comprised of a race of, of whatever that it became this entity of one and the ra the race combined to become the witness as the winner to mantle death, basically. And mm. then the traveler was fragmented into many ghosts, which mm. resurrected uh, special people that were chosen uh, or, you know, sacrificial people that, you know, wanted to, you know, propel uh, goodness forward or goodness, whatever, you know, the light. <laughs> and so the traveler became the many, the witness became the one from many, and they're yes. coming to this point of clashing. 
That's an interesting uh, take on it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah ultimately. And so the cows of the calcification is 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 a cool uh, power <laughs> mm-hmm. because think about how uh, you know he uses or the witness uses that terminology a perfect final shape the mm-hmm. calcification of the universe is what they think of as basically just still utter nothingness yeah devoid of chaos chaos is what you want to avoid. Yeah. And the the way to do that is to calcify everything so that there's no yeah. more chaos ever again. And yeah. you know, it's it's a it's an extreme take, but like I understand where they're coming from with it. And that's why I think that's why I think like unveil not like and I don't mean to say that unveiling word for word is the Bible of the people that became the witness, but it's it's right. the philosophy of it put into words for us to read because i don't know how a missionary actually works but i imagine they don't just go there <laughs> and and say like this is this is truth and you need to accept it as truth well, like it's they like, try to it's like it, it's like an evangelistic uh yeah you know uh what a mission just like you said like missionaries but what like they're going out and saying have you heard the good word you know yeah come to the yeah, they, I'm they, sorry, like I don't they, mean to step they, on people. They want to persuade. Yeah. The witness wants to persuade us into being like, hey, the light is chaos. I'm the yeah. thing that was like the fight for survival. I gave you life. Right. Like, our Lord gave you life. Everything you know is yeah. wrong. You know, it, it yeah. feel, with that, that in mind, it feels very like that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and using that as a good uh, analogy, because it's not just like, you know, it's not just like evangelistic Christianity or anything like that. All, a lot of religions are set up this way, you know, to go out and teach the people. Uh, and it's not just, you know, that in, a, in and of itself. But but using a Bible is a good is a good way or using any kind of book that was written for a, a, a purpose of of uh, getting people to align with one another in one way or another to help propel uh, whatever the agenda mm-hmm. is. Uh, so, yeah, but this is, you know, this is good meat on the bone because if you think about how they calcify everything and you think about how what the witness is desiring is through that race, they learned we need a winnower, we need a cleaver, mm-hmm. we need a, you know, a symbol of death that can so uh, reap uh, the fields of wheat that grow out of this ca- uh, chaos, mm-hmm. and without it unchecked, it's just going to keep growing and 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 suffering. Existence will suffer, you know, because the weeds will overgrow each other; they'll kill each other. This is constant, like suffering, and so they think that by, you know, restoring order in one way or another and and you know cleaving it all down to make it like nice and pretty is the way to go yeah anyway yeah i think that's going to be it for our our show this week uh our next episode will be on july 23rd uh yeah so i i think We'll maybe we'll finally do in spiral the uh the raid lore book from from the previous oh, uh, so. lightfall. Uh, that yeah, we need that one. So yeah. uh, if you want to catch us uh, at Loose Cannon Show, you can't see my finger because of this green screen. But at Loose Cannon Show on Twitter, as it's spelled down there, we're worth one of your five hundred. I don't fucking know how many. 500 tweets were worth checking it out. Uh, we have our our pin tweet has our link tree, which has. 
everywhere you can find us that if you came in late and you want to catch the rest of this we'll be on youtube we'll be on spotify uh we'll be on everything because it, it just all gets distributed and uh yeah. spotify even now should have assuming it works this week should have the video which we don't really do too much uh special with the video but if, yeah. if you like video so there you go uh there you go have a good time everybody bye bye